If we are dependent on the church, on man, to make sure that the whole world gets saved, it's never going to happen. The work of the church is the Lord's work and his alone. He might bring us along for the ride and let us help in the process, but it cannot be dependent upon the church. We will fail, and we often do. The work of the true kingdom of Christ, it is Christ and his alone. As it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All the promises are on the shoulder of Jesus, the increase of his government. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we want to look at a message entitled, Unto Us. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. We're going to look at the first part of verse 6, the child is born. The second part of that verse, he is called Wonderful. And then verse 7, he sits upon the throne of David. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless our time and your word today, Lord. I pray that we would uh, take this very familiar passage, prophecy concerning the coming of Christ. Lord, that you would speak new meaning into our hearts with it today. Not something, Lord, that we merely have memorized or can sing, but something, Lord, that we gain new understanding, fresh understanding, or maybe merely a reminder of the plans that you have for this world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. He is also mighty God. El Gibor is the Hebrew words of this. El meaning God. Mighty or warrior God, it could be translated. We don't often think of the Lord Jesus Christ like this. He is warrior God. We think of the gods of Greece like that. But this is the Hebrew. He is mighty God. He is warrior God. But I tell you what, when you read about the second coming of Jesus Christ, he is warrior God. He has strength. He has authority over all. It's because he spoke all into existence by right of his creative power. He is the same God who spoke the ten plagues over Egypt, who set the people of Israel free. And sometimes we forget that we can trust in God in the overwhelming troubles of our days. He is mighty God and he is able to deliver us. 
Speaking of mighty God in Isaiah 10 verses 20 and 21, Isaiah said, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but depend upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. Jeremiah 32, verses 17 and 18, again speaking about the mighty God. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands. You repay the iniquities of the fathers into the bosoms of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, the mighty God. To this day, we are to have our eyes fixed upon the mighty, the warrior God, Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote to Titus, in Titus 2, 13 and 14, he said, looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people for good works. He's not only mighty God, counselor, wonderful. He is also everlasting father. This is, although it's two words for us in the English, it's only one word in the Hebrew. Odd, aid, it might be translated this would better mean the source of eternity. He is father. He is the source of life, but not just life. The source of eternity. Eternal himself, he is able to give eternal life to those who believe in him. Eternal or everlasting father. It's a term used to speak about this word if it's used for a man in the Bible, it speaks about the head of a family, the head of a clan, uh, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Levi, we might say, the head, the father of that tribe. But here it is spoken of as one of the names of God. It speaks about his timeless endurance. He is the father of all who put their faith in him. Jesus is, according to the word of God, one with the Father. In John 10.30, he says, I and my Father are one. And thus the Messiah, Jesus, is identified as the eternal ruling Father. He's also the Prince of Peace. Two words in the Hebrew, Zar Shalom. Prince or ruler, the head again, the captain over, it might say. And shalom, we know, is that greeting of peace in Hebrew. Zar, shalom, the prince of peace, Isaiah 9, 6, refers to the Messiah. He was destined to usher in the government of peace. He still is at his second coming. And we'll see this in Isaiah verse 7 of chapter 9. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But we learn in Ezekiel 37, verse 26, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them 
Multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. Although this rightly, this passage from Ezekiel 37 verse 26 rightly refers to the peace that Jesus will bring during his millennial kingdom. Jesus makes peace with God available today to each of us now. All we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. In John 14, 27, Jesus promised this to us. Peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And these attributes, these characteristics of the Messiah, they are truly wonderful. In verse 7, he says, He will sit upon the throne of David. The whole verse reads this way, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. In the church today, we have three basic beliefs of the second coming of Jesus Christ, the end times. Premillennialist, premills, it's what we believe here at Calvary Chapel. They hold that Jesus will return to establish his rule upon the earth in a literal kingdom over which he will rule supremely for a period of a thousand years. And that's the pre, before the millennium. A millennialist, it's like me as a little boy trying to say Mississippi. I just have a hard time with this one. So the Amils, that's easier. They believe that Jesus is presently ruling in heaven right now. I had a Jehovah's Witness tell me this once. He kept saying, well, in 1918, 1918, 1918. I said, what is this with 1918? That's when the Lord returned and he's sitting in his invisible kingdom right now, ruling over the earth. Really? This is the millennium. Welcome to uh, the millennial reign. Post-millennialist, post-millennialist, I have to slow down on that one. Post-mill, a lot easier for me. Maybe you can say it, but it's a tongue twister for me. It believes that the Lord will rule for a thousand years, but it's going to be after, after, They believe that Jesus is presently ruling. And here's the thing. They believe through the thousand year reign that the church will increase more and more until the whole world is Christianized. It'll take a thousand years to do it. Let me just say this. If we are dependent on the church, on man, to make sure that the whole world gets saved, it's never going to happen. The work of the church is the Lord's work and his alone. He might bring us along for the ride and let us help in the process, but it cannot be dependent upon the church. We will fail and we often do. So the part of this increase of this government has thought by the A-mill, the post-mill people, that they see themselves as needing to help to usher in the millennial reign of Christ. Yet the work of the true kingdom of Christ 
It is Christ and his alone. As it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God are in him, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. All the promises are on the shoulder of Jesus, the increase of his government. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Matthew begins his gospel saying in Matthew 1.1, And the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. By telling us that Jesus is the son of Abraham, Matthew shows that the Christ came from the right nation, the people of Israel. By telling us that Jesus is the son of David, he shows that Jesus is the legal heir to the throne of Israel. Moreover, the angel Gabriel reveals to Joseph the Messiah's mission. I love this in Matthew 1, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The mission, the work of Jesus Christ, to save his people from their sins. And what a privilege it must have been for Joseph to name God's only begotten son, Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua? That means Jehovah saved. It's right in his very name. Jesus saves. He comes to order and establish his kingdom with judgment and justice from that time forward forever. The judgment and justice reminds me of the two-edged sword of the knight. Remember, each blade meant something on that sword. As Christians, we believe that the second coming refers to Jesus' future return to the earth. At the end of this present age, this is the age of grace, where at this time, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We believe that Christ will come and establish a visible kingdom upon the earth, not ruling in the invisible kingdom like the Jehovah's Witness teach now, but a visible kingdom ruling for a thousand years. At the return of Christ, it really consists of two main Comings. First, Christ will come for his church. To us, we know this is the rapture of the church, where he will take the church, glorify it, bring it into heaven with him, where on the earth there'll be a period of tribulation for seven years. After that time, the Lord will return with his church and set up his kingdom. He will return with power and great glory. This will be his millennial reign upon the earth. We know this as the second coming. The Messiah's coming brings about a partial reversal. At that time in his millennial reign, the earth will become nearer to what the Garden of Eden was. Except in the beginning at the Garden of Eden, there was perfection. Man, Adam and Eve, had not yet sinned. But we learn, according to the word of God, during that millennial reign that sin will still be upon the earth. There'll be both unbelievers and believers upon the earth. Isaiah 65, 20 tells us, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for a child shall die 100 years old, and the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. There'll still be sinners. There'll be longevity of life. It will change. There'll still be death. There'll still be belief and unbelief. 
And that, I think, plays in well with the increase of his government. They'll still be unbelievers, but they'll see what the perfect rule of Christ will be like upon this earth. And then the promise, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This zeal speaks about a word that could be translated as jealousy or zealous. It describes this intense passion, this intense emotion that, you know, for a person, it might refer to our wrath, our anger, but it could also refer to the zeal, the love that we could have for someone else. So it can be used in the Bible as either good or bad, this zeal that we have. Having a zeal for God would be a good thing. In the days of Hezekiah, as I said earlier, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, took the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C., took him into captivity. And immediately following that, he set his heart against the kingdom of Judah. He was going to destroy them. He destroyed some of their major cities already. He besieged Jerusalem. He sent letters saying, just give up. It'll be a lot easier for you. And you give up, we'll let you live in your land until we come and take you away. We'll relocate you somewhere but it's not going to be here. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He was telling the people. He was trying to talk to the people to not listen to their king. But Hezekiah turned to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord and the Lord responded to the king. And we find this twice in scripture, the same response. Second Kings 19, 30 and 31 or Isaiah 37, 31 and 32. You can pick whichever one you want to look at. They're the same. And a remnant who has escaped from the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. And those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now in the Old Testament, God would often give a prophecy and they would be one short-term fulfillment and also a long-term coming fulfillment of it. The reason God did this, he would give a short-term fulfillment to encourage those who were living when they first heard the prophecy in order that they could look forward to the coming prophecy, the coming fulfillment that would be long-term in fulfillment. Regarding the zeal of the Lord of hosts, a remnant did escape the Assyrians. They did take root in the land of Judah. They took root down and their fruit came up. God did do what he said he would do. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, he said, will perform this. And here regarding this Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 prophecy, it ends with this promise. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The reason that's important, if God has kept his past promises, it gives us a guarantee that he will also Keep all future promises. The zeal of the Lord of hosts ensures us at the second coming of Jesus Christ that the government will be upon the Lord's shoulder for his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. 
and the promise of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will see that his prophetic word is fulfilled. Today we have seen here in Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 that these prophecies were really connected to the Lord's first and second coming. We often quote this passage looking at the first coming, but know that it speaks about his second coming as well. And for us who believe that Jesus came the first time, it should give us confidence knowing that he will return again a second time for his church. So how does these verses help us today? Well, first of all, God still has a plan for the nation of Israel whose true restoration will be found in the millennial reign of Christ. Second, we find amid the challenging times that we find ourselves in, we can have confidence in our unchanging God and his plan for our redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. Third, God is in control of all things, even the different governments of this world. Finally, although the Lord causes peoples and nations to rise and fall, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will see that his prophetic word will be accomplished. We can trust that. We have God's guarantee upon that. It is my hope that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship begins by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who has paid the price of our sin upon the cross. It's through his death, burial, and resurrection that he has given opportunity that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa, we have a church motto that says, believe, receive, grow, and go. And I have connected four passages of scripture to each of these words. We speak about the necessity of believing. Hebrews eleven six reminds us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In order for someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ, they have to believe that there is a God. But secondly, they have to believe in the Son of God and receive Jesus Christ. And I attach to this word receive, Romans 5.17, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. There are a number of people who have believed that there is a God. They have said a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that's where they leave it, and that is wrong. They need to go on from there. And not only do we need to believe, not only do we need to receive, but we need to grow in our faith. And to the word grow, I attached 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. But that's not the end of it. Got to believe, got to receive, got to grow. But we need to go. As Jesus commissioned us in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, go therefore into all the nations, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and then the Lord's great promise, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. If you have never 
believed, received Jesus Christ. If you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart today, you can talk to myself, Pastor Kevin. Others here would be able to lead you. If you're listening on radio today, I would encourage you to email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. So, Father, we thank you for your great grace that you have bestowed upon us this day. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful passage of Scripture. I pray, Lord, that we learn something today and that we would take it to heart. Pray for those, Lord, who may not know you as their Savior, but you, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, even now you are calling them to yourself. They know you are calling and they're debating within themselves whether they should come or not. I pray, Lord, and I encourage them that they will come. And I encourage those, Lord, who are listening to my voice even now, if they are questioning whether they should pray to receive Christ or not, I encourage you to do so. The Lord will be with you and strengthen you in the process. I pray, Lord, for the salvation of the lost. I pray, Lord, for the strengthening of the Church of Jesus Christ and help us to live for your glory in these last days. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847 847- 265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.